don't be afraid to put yourself in adverse situations because that's where you're going to grow as a human being. The decisions you make in times of adversity, self-inflicted or totally out of your control, those decisions define who you are as a human. But don't fear inflicting that adversity on yourself because it's going to help you grow as a human being. Go put yourself through a little adversity. It may be only running for five minutes to start with. It may not be running. It may be something completely different than that. But don't fear it because I feel like it's essential for us as humans to experience that in life. By no means am I trying to sound super tough. or I subscribe to this saying, it's be hard when it gets hard. Have a place inside of you that you can go to when it gets hard and you can get the job done. So adversity is a tool, man. That's all it is. That's Chad Wright. And this is The Rich Roll Podcast. The Rich Roll Podcast. Happy New Year, people. 2020, it's here. We made it. How are you feeling? I feel good. I'm ready for all of it. Did I mention this is Rich Roll, your host? I'm here. Welcome to the first podcast of 2020. So we sort of have a little bit of a tradition here. It started off two years ago by kicking off the new year with some hard truths, some solid motivation, courtesy of a little-known former Navy SEAL you might have heard of called David Goggins, aka the hardest man alive. And people seem to enjoy that little kick in the pants to put your holiday excess in the rear view and calibrate the mind for a new horizon. So continuing on this theme, our first guest for 2020 is a guy born and bred in the backwoods mountains of Northwest Georgia who grew up with one dream, to become a Navy SEAL. His name is Chad Wright, and this guy wanted it so badly that when a rare but totally asymptomatic cyst on his heart basically disqualified him from entering buds. It was a growth deemed too risky to remove by most doctors. Chad, this guy, just refused to give up and ultimately tracked down a surgeon willing to perform the procedure. Cyst successfully removed. Chad went on to realize that dream of becoming a Navy SEAL, a decade-plus career that entailed serving as a team leader on multiple deployments to conflict zones across the world. He became a SEAL instructor, a master training specialist, and along the way, even served a stint as President Obama's bodyguard. He's battled PTSD and traumatic brain injury. He's faced his wife's substance abuse issues, and also found God, in part the result of a paranormal experience he's going to share with us today in quite riveting detail. He's retired now, and he's found this new life as an elite ultramarathoner, tackling some of the world's most insane endurance slogs, like this race called the Revenant in South New Zealand, which is a 118-mile foot race with over 105,000 feet of elevation gain that not one single person has ever successfully completed. It's an incredible story. It's a conversation packed with applicable takeaways. And it's coming up right after a few words from our great sponsors that make this show possible. We're brought to you today by Momentus. 
Over the last 16 years, I can safely say that I have tried almost every single plant-based protein out there. And I can tell you that most of them are highly processed with tons of additives and or they taste terrible, they're not third-party tested or simply just don't hit the nutritional bullseye with a legit science-supported formula with the appropriate amino acid profile that promotes optimal nutrient absorption, which is all just a long way of saying how enthusiastic I was to be introduced to Momentus's 100% plant-based protein, which solves for all of the above and then some with a precise blend of pea and rice proteins, which yields a complete amino acid profile, tastes great, and has become my go-to to ensure my body is supplied with energy for a proper recovery and function. Momentous products are simply the best in the industry, which is why they're used by over 90% of NFL teams, by Olympians, Tour de France champs, and world-class athletes across every sport. With all the BS in the supplement world, I trust Momentous's industry-leading quality standards and quality. Try Momentous for yourself by going to livemomentous.com richroll for 20% off plant-based protein and all of their top-of-the-line products. That's L-I-V-E-M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S dot com slash richroll for 20% off. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel. But what you wear isn't just clothes. It is, without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you, after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team from increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by a very exciting brand new sponsor, Go brewing. I am sober. I don't drink. And I devoted so many episodes of this podcast to the unreal benefits of an alcohol-free lifestyle. Why? Because even if you don't have issues with booze and suds, no amount of alcohol is good for you. At a minimum, it wreaks havoc on your sleep and produces a hangover that destroys your energy, your mood, and your focus. At worst, it turns your whole life upside down. But no longer does that mean you have to break up with your favorite brew because my pals at Go Brewing are making all your favorite brews, minus the alcohol, fewer calories, and more productive tomorrows. It's not every day that I 
get the privilege to witness the inception of a company collaborating with our podcast, but that's exactly what happened with Go Brewing. I'm gonna tell you this story. A few years back, I spoke at this event in Illinois, fittingly named Go. And it turns out that that very day catalyzed Joe, the founder, to start his own NA beer company, Go Brewing. I had no idea about any of this until I bumped into Joe at Jesse Itzler's Running Man event the other month in Georgia. And he shared this story with me. I savored his fare in all its varieties and deeply moved by the mission and what he shared with me and just impressed with the insane taste and quality of his alcohol-free concoctions, I wanted to help share the discovery. Made with natural ingredients faithful to traditional beer styles, Go Brewing has an impressive lineup of delicious, small-batch, craft, alcohol-free brews, all without added sugar or artificial processing. My favorite is their double IPA, not just another story, but Basically, you just really can't go wrong because everything they make is brewed to perfection, worthy of trying yourself, which you can now do at gobrewing.com. That's gobrewing.com and use the code RICHROLL for 15% off your first purchase. Okay, Chad. So over the course of the next two hours, you're gonna be absolutely glued to Chad's inspirational story and I think armed with some powerful takeaways to deploy along your own path. We talk about his SEAL dream and the heart condition that threatened to derail it, the day-to-day experience of being a member of such an elite squad of soldiers, the role of faith in his life, uh, re-entry into civilian life, what drew him into the world of ultra running, and a project he launched called Three of Seven. We discuss visions and paranormal experiences, which is awesome. Uh, We talk about why some people quit and others don't and why, the power of the spoken word and never giving pain a voice, the importance of breaking down big goals into bite-sized chunks, why the stay hard mantra isn't a sustainable life philosophy, and why Chad will never ever die in the chair. As fellow SEALs, there's of course a fair amount of Goggins energy in Chad. Uh, Both of these guys are hardened, highly trained warriors turned ultra athletes. But Chad is also very different from David. I think it's fair to say he's a bit more personable and perhaps a little bit more relatable than David. Maybe it's his laconic Southern drawl or his deep faith in Christ that uh, grounds him a little bit more. But one thing is for sure, he is extremely authentic deeply soulful, and very much wise well beyond his 31 years. So this is me having a conversation with Chad Wright. Well, it's a pleasure and an honor to meet you. I'm super excited to talk to you. Uh, Our mutual friend, Jesse, hit me up recently. He's like, you got to meet this guy, Chad, man. His story's crazy. You're going to love him. Um, And he was kind of describing you as, he's like, how old are you, like 32? 31. 30, 31. Yeah. He's like, he's only like, he's only like 31, but he's like my go-to guy for advice. He's like, he's my Tuesdays with Maury guy. <laughs> he's like this incredible ultra athlete and badass Navy SEAL, but he's also sort of this Obi-Wan Kenobi, Kenobi type character who's deeply wise. And that's like right in my wheelhouse, man. So well, thank I'm, you, I'm psyched to talk to you. Yeah, man. Now it's a blessing to be here, brother. Thank you. Um, so let's uh, 
why don't we start with the whole like Navy SEAL thing, man? You know, it's it's interesting because you don't you, you don't necessarily cut the figure of what somebody would expect. <laughs> Never have. I mean, the beard it, the beard might be a little bit long. I mean, the beard goes with it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, and more, I guess we're seeing more and more uh, military dudes embracing the ultra the ultra running lifestyle. Um, but uh, I mean, you did the whole deal, man. Buds and the whole thing, and the story leading up to it is is pretty crazy. Getting what 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 in, what what you had to endure and uh, and uh, undergo to kind of achieve your dream. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. talk about that a little bit. Yeah, and I guess I never really fit the mold, Rich, because mm. I was born and raised in North Georgia. I never played sports. Um, I had never swam in a swimming pool. Right. Never ran on purpose. Never, never was in a pool until you were in the military. <laughs> until right? I went to yeah take the the PST to get <laughs> right. a SEAL contract. You know. But your mom is a triathlete, right? Yeah. She so didn't bring you down to the pool ever? No. She she would bring me out on the trail when I was young, you know, mm-hmm. and allow me to hike around and kind of follow her. But water was. I mean, growing up in North Georgia, man, like you know. We didn't. We we lived out in the country, uh-huh. so we didn't have a a swimming pool close. And like the most swimming you would do would be like to swim out across the pond to unhook your fishing lure that was hung on a log. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> right. So I, like dog paddle was was uh-huh. was my limit. Um, so yeah, I you know, but but I worked through that. Um, I you know when I went to take that physical standards testing, it was a run, swim, push up, pull up, sit up. I failed that thing probably a dozen times, dude, mm-hmm. but I kept coming back. Every week I would take it and improve a little bit and a little bit. Finally passed with minimum standards. And right. But where does the where does the dream to become a SEAL come from? Well, I th- and I think for everyone it's different. For me personally, um I was I had just graduated high school. And of course, you know, this small town that I'm fr- that I was living in, there's not a whole lot of, especially back then, there wasn't a whole lot of economic opportunities right. there. And I didn't like school. It just wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. So I went to work in the construction industry. And I was I did that for a few months. And I just had this moment one day while I'm 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 sitting, you know, in this you know, just environment that I wasn't enjoying. And I, I realized that if if I wanted more out of life, or if I wanted, you know, financially, you know, spiritually and, and you know, everything as a whole package, I was going to have to step out of that environment. Yeah. And I realized that if I didn't make that move, that this, that I was surrounded with was just that was going to be my lot in life, and no like mentors or anybody like no that. no no really prior military you know service in my family. Um, it wasn't about me being a a patriot at the time. Nothing like that. It was just me wanting more out of life. And right. you know, I always tell I, I'm always hesitant when I tell that story because. I don't ever want to sound like I deserve more or that I'm better than anyone else because there were a lot of guys that I worked alongside in that industry and they were happy with that life. Um, And that's awesome. But I wasn't happy with it. Yeah. You know, at the time. You just had a little bit more 
ambition. Yeah, just maybe else. a little more ambition. But you know, I tell people all the time, some of the greatest men that I that I've ever met in my life have wore overalls every day of their lives and, sure. and worked the fields. And they've raised a beautiful family and and they have this really happy, wholesome, complete lifestyle. But for me, I just wanted to kind of step out. Mm-hmm. So that's where the the decision, I guess, was born. But you could have done a lot of different things in the military. Like what was it about SEAL training? <laughs> Man, I, I just saw I just saw Especially this. since you weren't it's not like you were a football player. Dude, right? I just saw this thing online. <clears throat> I was sitting, like I said, I was looking on, on my computer and, and researching jobs within the military and this thing just pops up. I'm talking about Navy SEALs, and I didn't really even know what Navy SEALs did, but it said this is the hardest military training in the free world. And it was like for something clicked in my head, like, boom, mm. this is this is what I'm going to go do. Mm-hmm. And I, I, can't, I can't really explain why it was that one single thing. Right. But... Uh, but yeah, from that point forward, that became my mission. That became my entire dream in life is to to get on the start line and at least get a shot, you know, to to reach this goal that I had set for myself. Yeah. So you sign up for the military, you head off, but it doesn't exactly go to plan. No, it didn't quite go as <laughs> yeah. as I planned. And so basically what happened, Rich, is you have to go through Navy boot camp before you go to SEAL training. Right. While you're in boot camp, they run you through a series of medical evaluations to make sure that your body is physically perfect. They're not going to send you off to this super arduous training unless right. they know you're good to go. So I make it all the way through boot camp, and the last day we have our big final training exercise and, like, um, that is wrapping up, and everybody's heading off to graduation. And my drill instructor comes to me and says, Chad, uh, you need to go see medical. They found something that they need to talk to you about. So in that last moment, as, as everybody's going off to, you know, to chase their dream and yeah. their goals, I'm walking over to medical as a, I'm just a young kid and thinking, what in the world is this all about? And I walk in to this office and the dive medical officer standing there and he says, Chad, um, we found a pericardial cyst on your heart. And he said, this is totally asymptomatic. He said, it was never going to bother you your whole life. But we're afraid when you go down to depth, when you're diving as a seal, that the pressure change could potentially burst that cyst on your heart. Mm. And he said, we can't let you be a seal. Yeah. So he basically, all my dreams and aspirations were taken from me in that one dis- definitive moment. You know, I was, I was given this, this, you know, you can't do this. Right. So how did that feel? It was cru- it, it it crushed me man it it crushed me but the strange thing is is that when he when he told me that even though this was the guy in charge telling me that I couldn't do the things that I wanted to do for I, I never let go of that dream yeah so I I immediately said 
to myself, I'm going to find some way over, under, around this condition, you know? Even though there's basically, uh, I mean, short of heart surgery, there's no way around this, Mm-mm. right? There's, so what do they, what do they, do they just reassign you at that point? So they try, that's what they tried. The Navy tried uh-huh. to just send me out to the fleet, right. um, which is the big Navy, which is a, a awesome, that's an awesome place to be, but it's not where I had set my right. goals. So how do you finagle out of that? So I reached back to my family. They made some phone calls, um, and I was able to get an administrative discharge from the Navy. It was basically because they had essentially breached the contract that I had with them uh-huh. because my contract was to go to SEAL training. I so I got out of the Navy. Uh, like I say, I still had had aspirations to be a SEAL, and, and the only avenue, like you said, Rich, was... I got to have heart surgery. Right. So I start going to all these heart surgeons here in Atlanta, and try. And every surgeon I went to would told me the same thing that the dive medical officer told me. This is a rare condition. It's asymptomatic. We're not willing to accept the risk of performing this surgery, even if you waived all of it. Even if I waived all of it, they They're didn't like, want to you touch just live it. Live your whole life with this thing. It, it's no, it's no problem. They didn't want to touch yeah. it, man. Uh-huh. So, I finally find a surgeon in Atlanta named Doctor Cooper, and he had served in the army as a, a combat surgeon downrange, um, and he understood what I wanted to go do. Yeah. I think more so than somebody that hasn't served in right. that capacity. How many? How many? doctors did you go to before him? I was turned down by three doctors. To the best of my memory, it was yeah. three doctors before I finally found Dr. Cooper. Uh-huh. And he's like, I'll do it? He was like, I'll do it. <laughs> he was a good. runner, dude. Uh-huh. Um, awesome. I mean, I, I remember my first appointment. Like, every appointment I had with this dude would be early in the morning, and he would be he would come into the office in his running clothes, uh-huh. like still sweating. And I'm like, this is this is my guy this right is, here, this man. Is the dude, for you, right? That's it, brother. How risky was this procedure? You know, and I get asked that a lot, Rich. But back then, I was I was a kid, dude. I wasn't asking these questions. I had a singular focus. Right. I never asked the question, "How risky is this?" I just I knew that it had to be done for me to move forward with my with my dream. Uh-huh. Um, I think the riskiest part of the surgery is that the condition was so rare. So Dr. Cooper, for instance, is a well-known surgeon in Atlanta. He had never removed a pericardial cyst. Mm. So it was a, it, he, he pretty much, I remember him pretty much telling me, okay, we've got a general plan, but I, we've never done this surgery before, so we're going to have to open you up and we're going to figure it out you know, when we get in there. Right. The so best crack, way to take crack this your off. sternum open that way, so like open heart. They actually um, detached my pec muscle, moved it up, and then went in through my rib cage to, to get wow. to my heart. Yeah. Wow. Was yeah. there a moment beforehand where you thought, like, this is insane? There was one yeah. distinct moment. <laughs> And it was it was actually the morning of the surgery, man. Uh, I was riding to the hospital with my dad at like 5 a.m. And I look over at my dad. I had this moment of doubt, and I look over at my dad, and I said, Dad, do you think I should really go through with this? And he looked back at me, and without 
stuttering, he says, son, if you want to be a seal, you have no choice. Yeah. And that resonated with me. That's the way my mind ticks. We'll talk about that. I simplify mm-hmm. things. That resonated with me. And I just said, Roger that. That was the truth. I had right. no other choice. Right. So um, fueled perhaps by maybe a little bit of naivete that comes with youth and that sense of of being impervious and immortal when you're young. Totally, brother. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> right. That's so it. you get through it, and then what? You go back and just show up and say, "I'm I'm ready to go now." Well, it wasn't that easy. I get through it. This the surgery was successful, but. It was still a gamble because I still had to get waivers. I still had to get signed off. Uh-huh. Um, I, you know, the the Navy had to review the civilian medical documents, you know, from the surgery, and basically sign off on it. So this whole time, I'm just gambling, man. How long did that take? I can tell you I was back in the Navy standing before the same dive medical officer that has di- that had disqualified me less than a year after surgery. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I walk back in his office, Rich, and he looks at me and he says, what are you doing back here, man? Uh-huh. He remembered me yeah. because it was, it was rare, so, so rare. And, and all this is written, this is a public information. If you just Google Navy SEAL pericardial cyst, you can read how rare it was in the medical journal that that doctor wrote. Uh-huh. And so I hand him over the documents, and he looks them over, and I think that he really respected what I had done, the risk that I had taken. Right, like this is the kind of crazy we need here. That's right. right. And yeah. he understood it. Uh-huh. The doctor understood it more than anyone else could have understood because he knew what was involved with with the surgery. Right. You know. Well, in the history of SEALs, had anybody else? Or you must be the first person to ask. That was the first one. That, that was yeah. the first case of a pericardial cyst in a SEAL candidate that's uh-huh. ever existed. Until now, people it, hear this. <laughs> yeah, until now. <laughs> you know, right? All right, so you're back in. And then what? You just go from there into buds? Like, how does it work? Yeah, so luckily the Navy uh, blessed me off, gave me the waiver I needed, Uh and they did not make me go through boot camp again. I had got far enough along that they didn't make me go back through that process. So I'm in a holding pattern for a few months waiting for the the buds class to kind of class up, but... Yeah, pretty much. Essentially, I'm I'm right back in, uh, and I finally get to toe the line mm. um, there at my biggest dream and aspiration that I've ever had. And brother, nothing was going to stop me. And there's like what, like 300 people in a buds class back in those days. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was we were you know that was a big influx. That was 2007. Uh-huh. The war was going pretty hard, right? So we so had all a, those kids in high school that that were there for two thousand for nine eleven were kind of aging up into that. That's right, it. Around yep. that time. Yep. So mm-hmm. we started with about three hundred guys. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, my only frame of reference for wrapping my head around what goes on at Buds is is David Goggins and the stories that he's told on this podcast and what he wrote in his book. I mean, what mm-hmm. was your experience like? You know. Buds is a weird thing, Rich. It's a crazy thing about it is nothing about Buds, no singular evolution is really all that hard, man. What do you mean by that? Like, 
the time, like the timed evolutions, the perform, the things that you have to do in buds, it's like a four mile timed run. Uh-huh. You get like 32 minutes to do that. You've got to swim two miles. You get ample time to do that. So nothing in buds is really all that hard. Meaning like in isolation, in like isolation. each individual task, it's just the accumulation of them. The hardest thing is when you when you look at the total picture, it's the grind, man. Uh-huh. And that's why, that's why dudes quit. Essentially, I would say that's the number one reason that people quit. It's just like running an ultra. You know how to break an ultra down. Well, buds is like that, but magnify it into like a, it's like a six month long ultra, you know? Right, right. So this is kind of part of your core philosophy, right? Like breaking things down into the their sort of smallest components so that you can digest them one by one. I think it's essential, Rich. For me in my life, it's, yeah, it's breaking, not only breaking, say a race, breaking it down from, you know, a tree to tree or rock to rock perspective, but even breaking down the the outcomes, you know, when I when I go and race, I never feel any pressure, and I never really get nervous, man. Because in my mind, I've broken that I've broken that race down into two outcomes. I'm either going to break my body, or I'm going to achieve victory uh-huh. or, or cross the finish line. That simplifies it so much for me. And is it is that philosophy advisable? Well, I, I don't know. I think that's a choice for every individual to make. But for me, I look at these races as as missions, almost like missions in my life. And I'm willing to accept the fact that I could potentially break myself to accomplish this mission. Right. Well, the other option is to quit. Right? The other so option is to quit. Yeah. But you just don't put that on the table. I don't put it on the table, man. And and I'm not by no means am I trying to sound uh, super tough. Or I subscribe to this saying: it's be hard when it gets hard. Uh-huh. And in an ultra, it gets hard. So that's when I like to hunker down. Yeah, there's this ethos out there. I I saw you kind of speaking about this on Instagram. Um, out there, like stay hard, you got to be hard 24-7, you know, and I think people in general need a kick in the pants, and that's Mm -hmm. a worthy message that I think is helpful to a lot of people who have gotten a little too cushy or comfortable in Mm -hmm. their lives, but staying hard all the time is not a sustainable lifestyle philosophy, is it? It's not sustainable, Rich, and and I I really feel like, um, for me personally, it's a dangerous philosophy because... If you have, if you think as a man or a woman that you have to be hard all the time, we said it's not sustainable. So you're going to fall short of that mark. Uh, And when you fall short of that mark, you're going to beat yourself up about it. And it just causes problems, uh, I feel like, for me personally. And it causes problems in in relationships, man. Uh You know, when... You know, when I was active duty, you know, I could be out on the road or be on deployment. Well, when when you come back, you got to be able to to love your family and and love the other people around you and and, and show compassion and and emotion and 
Those all those aren't components of being hard all the time, no, but they're components they're, that are necessary to living a healthy yeah. lifestyle. I mean, what's the point otherwise, right? But that's they're it. not they're not teaching that to you in buds. No, that's something yeah. that I had to learn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, they turn you into this. Uh, I don't want to uh-huh. say monster, but they turn you into what I guess society would call an alpha male in buds. Right. You know? Right. So stay hard when it's. It's appropriate to be hard or have, when, when you need to be hard. Have a place inside of you yeah. that you can that you can go to when it gets hard and you can get the job done. But couldn't you make an argument that setting yourself up with these two options, either victory or, you know, completely, you know, going until your body breaks down, that that could be considered an unsustainable model too, right? That could be. Yeah. That 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 could be on that could <laughs> right. be on but yeah. I'm a, but I, I mean I, I'm you younger. Pick your, pick your moments or pick your battles, I suppose. And and that's why yeah. I say is is that specific philosophy advisable? I think it's uh it's called um it's called, you know, risk calculation. You calculate what you're willing to accept to accomplish this mission. For me, I'm willing to accept that. Right. You know, but everybody's not me. I like this idea of breaking things down into tiny little nuggets to achieve your goals. I think people, you know, this is going to go up in the new year. People are thinking about their new year's resolutions. Everybody set this kind of like aspiration for themselves. And as you know, most people, you know, fall off the wagon and don't end up self-actualizing whatever it is that they're looking to do in their lives. And I think, I think you know that message is really important because we get caught up in the sexy idea of what it's going to be like and feel like and look like when we achieve that goal, um, but we're just not willing to do those little things every day that keep us moving in that trajectory in kind of a relentless way because it's not sexy, because those little things are tiny little things. They're not things that are going to get anybody excited. Mm-hmm. They're just stuff you got to do. Um, relentlessly to create that kind of momentum that 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 creates like a self-perpetuating machine. Totally, brother. Yeah. I agree 100%. <laughs> right. All right, you so you understand it, Rich. Yeah, well, so, all right, so you're in buds. Is it what you thought it would be? Expected it to be? Yeah. Harder, I, easier? I would say SEAL training is probably like the one thing in life that surpassed its reputation. In terms of difficulty. In terms of difficulty. Intensity. For yeah. sure. And, and there again, that's I'm talking about the whole the whole picture right mm-hmm. now, you know. What is the main thing that you take away from that experience? You know, there's so many things that that we could talk about that were born in that experience. Um, I'd say the one thing that I utilize the most right now is the lessons that we learned that revolve around the I call it the power of the spoken word the the things that we say how the things that we say impact our direction in life and the outcome of our situations and one of the earliest times I remember seeing seeing this work was in first phase, my best friend came to me one day and he said, Chad, I don't think I'm good enough to make it through this training anymore. And, you know, I had known prior to that statement that he had been having some thoughts of doubt. Uh-huh. But 
when he kept those thoughts within his own head, he was able to continue from day to day. But as soon as he came to me that that morning and spoke it out loud, that statement, he, he, he created that re- reality, it became real, it crushed him, man. He was crushed by that single statement, I don't think I'm good enough. And, it's, and, and shortly after he made that statement, he went and, and quit. And I thought, you know, this guy, my buddy, you know, he was completely physically capable of, of doing everything that we had to do that day and every single day until graduation, but those words crushed him, man. It was like the Rubicon. Once he once he crossed that, you, there's no return. Once you once you give voice to whatever it is, whatever demon is swimming around in your head, it gives it a gives it a power that you can't take back. There's there's something about when it's something about the spoken word, man. And I think the the written word has has similar and equal power. But you know, a lot of my stuff lessons revolve around that spoken word. And now that's transferred, that lesson has transferred into ultra running. And, you know, I've seen that power of the spoken word push people beyond their conceived limits. So give me an example of of practicing that. So I can give you an example of how we practice it at a race a few months ago. I we were doing a last man standing race. Right. So is this the one with Jesse? No, this was one that I didn't do the one with Jesse. The, I had done one a few months right. before. Uh-huh. Um, so I became acquainted with a young man named Thomas. Thomas had never ran more than a 10K race before. So it's mm. about six miles. And me and Thomas kind of partnered up and I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna mentor Thomas. And it starts to get, you know, we'd been, we had made it to like 15 hours. So is it one of those where you do a loop and you get a break and you have to do it in a certain amount yeah. of time? You just keep going until no, it, there's only one person left. Yeah, yeah. so it's 4.16 miles every mm-hmm. hour on the hour until is one man's Is this the race left. that you created? We, we actually hosted a race that was a similar format, uh-huh. um, but this was one I was actually competing in. Okay. Um, so Thomas... We, it get, the the sun starts to set, and I, you know, I look in his eyes, and I can tell he's hurting bad, man. He he's 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 almost done. And I told Thomas, I said, Thomas, I just want I want you to do something for me. I said, I want you to just say, I will never quit. And Thomas looks over at me, and he he says, Well, I'll never quit. And I'm like. No, man, I want you to yeah. yell it out loud. Let everyone around here know that you mm. will never quit. And I think Thomas kind of thought that it was cocky, but it wasn't about being cocky. It was about us creating this confidence and this reality for ourselves through the words that we spoke. So Thomas yelled, I will never quit. And then throughout the rest of that night, every time I'd see Thomas, we'd yell back and forth to each other, I'll never quit. Thomas ran over a hundred miles wow. that day. So from a 10K, he ran over a hundred miles. Do you know what his goal was going into 100 it? A hundred miles. Oh, it was to run a hundred miles. It was a hundred yeah. miles. But uh-huh. you know, we, we had also made a pact with each other that, uh, and and I had I had made this for, for myself, but I, I brought Thomas on board that 
we'll never that we wouldn't die in the chair during that race that we would die out on the race course when our time came battling for every step uh-huh. so on thomas's last lap he reached his goal and he said uh he's he's sitting in his chair he said brother chad he said i got my 100 miles man i'm good uh-huh. and i said no thomas we said we're not dying in the chair brother <laughs> yeah. So uh, Thomas Thomas rose up out of the chair, man, out of that. that but he ch- did speak those words out loud. He, he, he now did. Now you got to overcome that. Yeah, yeah, he right? overcame it. But but he had reached his goal essentially. He had uh-huh. every right to to be there. But he had just had a little. He forgot about don't die in the chair, you uh-huh, know. And right. I, so Thomas rises up and uh, and and comes back out, toes the line again, and he's running with me. Um, and based essentially waiting for my permission to to end right and uh yeah we get out about 300 yards from the start line and i say all right thomas you did it brother and uh, <laughs> and then he do it in the chair the start line man you could have you could have withheld that permission and just see, see you know how, how much further this guy's gonna go i was so proud of him though man it was amazing We're brought to you today by Birch. If you're serious about optimizing your sleep, listen up. I've spent countless hours researching and testing various methods to improve my nightly shut-eye, and I can confidently say that it all starts with a good foundation. And if your bed is old, if it's uncomfortable, lumpy, then your sleep inevitably is gonna be impacted. So it's important to invest in a quality mattress, one that's insanely comfortable, that's organic, sustainably made, and that, my friends, is a birch mattress. Fair trade and Rainforest Alliance certified with the finest quality organic natural materials like organic fair trade cotton, birch mattresses are made with none of the toxic chemicals and off-gassing produced by most major brands. Kind of important not to be breathing that for a third of your life, I'd say. Plus, it's super luxurious. I've been sleeping on Birch for about five years, and I'd say it's the perfect ratio of soft to supportive, and the craftsmanship is just next level. I've got one in every room of my house. I love it. Pretty sure you will too. And right now, Birch is giving 20% off all mattresses and two free EcoRest pillows at birchliving.com slash richroll. That's 20% off and two free EcoRest pillows. Sleep better with Birch. We're brought to you today by Seed. Gut health is all the rage. There's good reason for that. I've probably devoted, I don't know, at least a dozen episodes of this podcast to the many, many crucial ways the microbiome contributes to your overall well-being or lack thereof, and to the many diet and lifestyle protocols we should all adopt to promote gut health from fermented food, to fiber and everything in between, including, of course, the importance of supplementing with a probiotic. And the one that I have come to trust far beyond the shenanigans of the supplement world is Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. It's the most solid, science-based, and rigorously evidence-backed probiotic and prebiotic on the market. Formulated for optimal digestion, gut immune function, gut barrier integrity, 
skin health. In fact, my 16-year-old daughter has been using it to clear up a significant acne issue, and it's been wonderful, as well as many other systemic benefits. Like I said, I've been taking it daily, personally, for years. I love it. My body loves it. And right now, for our listener community, Seed is offering 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Visit seed.com slash richroll and use the code richroll25 to redeem this offer. That's seed.com slash richroll or code richroll25. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple, search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life and recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. So what do you make of that? Like, what is that about? Like, how is it that the spoken word can carry that kind of power? It's, you know, I, and, and I don't know, I don't know what, for me, something in your, a thought that's in your head, mm. it's just a thought. It's, it's not tangible to anyone else except for you. But when you speak something out loud, it, it actually becomes something real, something that can be measured. So it becomes something that's part of this reality that we live in and 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 I feel like that's what gives it the pow- the power of the spoken word I feel like that's why it's so powerful because as a thought it's it's essentially it's not part of this reality that we're living in but as soon as you speak it it becomes real right that's where I find the power at man so the the practical application of that or the practice of it is to be very measured or judicious in what comes out of your mouth and to be careful that, that to be mindful of the words that you speak such that whatever is coming out of your mouth is, is you know, a positive affirmation 
that underscores the the goal that you're trying to achieve. I think you have to be constant, yeah. constantly conscious of it, man. And and it's that's something I practice in my own life. And you know, I obviously I take it kind of. Some people would think to the extreme. You know, I don't curse. That's not a. I'm a Christian, but that's not uh-huh. a Christian thing. Um, it's because none of those words in and of themselves have a positive meaning. So I try to stay constantly um, in control of my rudder. I look, I look at my tongue as my rudder. Do you ever fuck that up? Oh yeah. I mean, everybody's (laughs) going to make mistakes, man, Uh for sure. But you know, a, a, a big thing, Rich, is to be especially aware of your rudder during times of adversity. Right. You know, mm-hmm. because that's when, that's when it really matters. When you're in the struggle, when you're in the furnace of adversity, that's when you have to be really conscious of the things that you're saying. Yeah, in my opinion. Back to buds. Was there ever a breaking moment for you, or were you just and 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 was this kind of perspective taught to you, or you just this was an intuitive thing that you stumbled upon as a survival mechanism to get through this? It. So it wasn't taught. I, I think it's been, it, it was an intuitive thing, but I think that it's also developed now through, you know, as I get older and I continue to see it work and I teach these skills to other people and then I hear their testimonies when they come back and say, oh my gosh, you know, I was in this terrible situation or this terrible moment and I just spoke life into my situation and it changed the direction, it changed the outcome. Those things all strengthen my faith in these actual tools that we have. Right. And and buds, there was no breaking point for me though. There was never a time that I thought about that I thought about quitting. Um, never a single moment. I never mm-hmm. looked toward the bell. And and again, that's not because I'm any tougher than anyone else, man. But it's because I had been through a furnace of adversity prior to even towing the line. Yeah. So I had quite a bit invested. Right. So you get through that, and then what? Where and what was your deployment like? Like, what was the experience of actually being a Navy SEAL? So you know, I did multiple deployments over the course of the twelve years that I was active duty. As far as the experience of being a Navy SEAL, man, it's not as sexy as you would think. It's yeah. I'll tell you the best part about being a Navy SEAL is you get to go to work with heroes every single day. You get to go to work with these men that are just, um, you know, have integrity. Um, these men that that just will not quit, and you get to be surrounded by those people every day. That was the best part for right. me of actually being in the SEAL teams. As far as the day to day job, it's a job, man. Yeah. You, you you know you have a mission every day, whether it's training or or you know actual mission, and you're a professional. You're an operator. And you get the job done, and it's not you. Nobody there is doing it for glory. Mm-hmm. Um, at, at least, not you know. There may be your oddball every now and then that that that's why they do it. But your real operators are are just there to get a job done that needs to be done, man. Yeah, uh, we're in an interesting time now, where kind of prior to maybe a decade or so ago, nobody who was a Navy SEAL or a special forces um, soldier really talked about that experience publicly. Um, but then somebody cracked the seal on that and wrote a book. And then there was, there's been kind of this 
tremendous amount of interest mm-hmm. um, in what that experience is like. Lots of books, lots of people who have become public speakers, and these things turn into movies and television shows. I don't know how much you're allowed to talk about your actual missions or deployment, but there is kind of a public lens on this life that didn't exist probably when you you know when you began mm-hmm. all of this. So how do you like? think about that as somebody who is, you know, an alumnus of that experience? I'll tell you, Rich, that's a, that's a really interesting question. And I think that the times that we're in, the times we're living in right now, the more complicating life becomes, the more complicating our society becomes, the more we, we have, we're, we're, we have these devices, we have social media, the more complicating life becomes, the more people are hungry for the lessons that we've learned as as at not only as seals but you know in ultra running. I think that's mm-hmm. why ultra running is is making this huge jump right now. I think we're we're living in a time in that that people are hungry for these lessons and for this pure mentality. And you know, I I could be just as happy, Rich, if I moved to the mountains of North Georgia and lived in a cabin and never spoke to anyone other than my uh-huh. friends again. Yeah. But I feel like I would be doing a disservice to my brothers and sisters, my you know everyone within our community, everyone that listens to this. If I didn't at least come and share with you the things that I've learned and the things that have worked for me. Yeah, so do you consider that uh, a call to service? Uh, so, yeah, it's it's almost, it's like, for me, it's like continued service. It's like I've, this is how I continue my mission is by sharing the things that, that I've been given, man. Right. Well, I think we are, you know, in a moment where, you know, we've never seen people as lonely and kind of, you know, mentally discontent as they are. Mm -hmm. And yet we're more prosperous than we ever have been before. It's not about like, you know, I can't buy the television. It's about this um, social contract that we've created that prioritizes comfort and luxury and ease above the things that actually make us happy, which is connection with other humans and experience and living outside of your comfort zone and tackling obstacles and challenges. And also, you know, I think it's it's sort of not socially acceptable to kind of tell people the hard truth, you mm-hmm. know, in polite conversation. And here comes all these Navy SEALs who are like, that's bullshit, man. If you want this, then you're going to have to do that. Like they're just, they're just, they're not mincing words. They're just telling you what you actually really need to hear if you feel like you're in a rut or you're trying to, you know, kind of, um, you know, achieve a, a better life for yourself. That's right, Rich. And Rich, there's a lot of days that go by that I never talk about being a SEAL. Like, <laughs> right. like when I dude, yeah. when I come on these podcasts to talk about SEALs, like Navy SEAL stuff, uh-huh. it there is a aspect of it that makes me uncomfortable. Really? To be honest with you. Because, because why? Because we were trained to be silent professionals. Right. And, and that's what we we are. The whole time we're active duty, you 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 are a silent professional. And and now I think the important thing for me now 
is to remember the fact that I'm not sharing these things with you because for, for my own glory or, or to put myself right. on a pedestal. I'm sharing these things with you because I love you and I want you to have a, a, everything that you want. I want you to be able to achieve your goals. And you may be able to do that without me, but if I can help you in any way, shape, or form, that's my mission, man. I get that. I believe you, too. Does it feel a little bit like a betrayal then to talk about it, given that you were trained to kind of zip it? I don't. I don't feel like it's a betrayal because here's the thing, Rich. I we're not we're not sitting here talking about the missions that we did. We're right. not sitting here talking about the bad things, um, the, the war and the things that happened there. We're talking about tools that that we can apply in our day-to-day life. Right. If I was sitting here talking to you about some mission overseas and, and the intricacy and the details of that, that would be a betrayal. Uh-huh. But we're not talking about tactics, man. Right. I'm not telling you anything right now that an enemy could listen to at some day and have and, and get an advantage over the guys that are still in the fight right now. Do you understand that? Yeah, I get that completely. Yeah. So yeah. I don't feel... You know, that's why I don't feel like I'm betraying right. anyone. You yeah, know? I get it. So other than die in the chair, don't die in the chair and, uh, you know, break things down into what's, you know, immediately in front of you to do, like, what are the other, and and the spoken word thing, like, what are the other, like, big lessons that you want people to understand? Um, I'd say another essential message that uh, people might take the wrong way I use this now in ultra running and we used it back, you know, in training is don't give a voice to your pain or suffer in silence. That was a mantra we had Mm -hmm. in the teams. And that is not, that is not at all related to mental or emotional pain. I'm talking about physical pain that you feel during times of self-inflicted adversity. Uh And it's helped me tremendously in ultra running you know, when you're deep into a race, man, and and everything hurts, and you look over at your buddy, and when you look over at your buddy, remember that your buddy feels the same pain that you're feeling. Uh-huh. So, what use, what what service are you doing to him or to yourself if you say, "Gosh, man." This hurts so bad. Like, he already knows it hurts, man. And we, that was how we operated, you know, going uh-huh. through buds. You never looked at, uh, you looked over at your buddy and you said, man, that guy's just as cold as I am. There's no reason for me to talk about how cold I am right now. Right. So, it, it kind of where, uh, you know, an example of how we, I, I utilized it in ultra running or seen at work was uh, I did a race last May called Cruel Jewel. It was a um, 106-miler in North Georgia, had 33,000 feet of elevation gain wow. and loss. So super difficult course. And this was actually my first 100-miler. It, uh-huh. was, it was two years ago, actually. And so I'm running this race. I'm doing good up until about mile 70, and I tore my hamstring um, right down here where it connects to the back of my knee. And man, you want to talk about hurting, brother. It hurt something terrible. And it's got <laughs> swollen up and red. And But I didn't, so I still had 30 miles left. I never said a word to anyone about it. 
never told an aid station worker, never told my crew, like, oh my gosh, I tore my hamstring, it hurts like crazy. So I can't carry on through this race and I'm still able to make ground. And I hadn't gave a voice to that pain until I had five miles left. I came to the last aid station and I lost control of my rudder, man. And I told the aid station worker how bad my hamstring had been hurting for the last four or five hours. Um, And... When I gave a voice to that physical pain that I was feeling, there again, it gave power to that that pain and that injury, and it almost took control of me from a mental standpoint when I gave it a voice, and I had like five miles left. It took me three hours to cover that last right. five miles, man, so it crushed me. Well, so you finished. I finished. You finished. I finished. There is an argument that maybe that wasn't the wisest thing to do, right? Like there's a difference between physical pain and the pain that emanates from like damaging yourself in a a really bad way. Like if you ripped your hamstring, like I don't think anybody would, first of all, no one would give a shit if you stopped. And it might, like if you had finished that race with that torn hamstring and then you were out for like a year because you just screwed yourself up so badly there again it's 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 it's, it's operational risk (laughs) management it's your decision man yeah i didn't care what anybody else thought uh this is all these this is all these missions are mine dude i got it you know what i mean i got it so all right so uh so how long were you a seal for then 12 years 12 years yeah yeah i actually just got out this past january right right um one of the things Jesse told me that you did is you you were you like bodyguarded for for Obama. Can you talk about that, or is that like off the record? Uh, yeah, I worked I worked with, with <laughs> Mr. Like Obama a few times. Did yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, it was a good time. That must he, have been cool. Yeah. Oh, I enjoyed it. Yeah, he's a good dude. Um, enjoyed spending time with him. Uh-huh. It was a cool experience for sure. Right. So just one of many, though, Spoken man. like a seal. Like, I could tell you don't want to talk too much about this kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Um, totally, man. So 12 years, and then you get kind of what's the equivalent of, like, a, an honorable discharge, right? Like, you had some injuries as a result. Like, there's a there's a brain injury involved and and I think some PTSD. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it was, mul- it was multiple, you know, just, just kind of... It's it it was kind of looking at the whole picture of me, and then especially looking at the brain injury stuff. Um, I was a breacher, which means we we deal with explosives. Uh-huh. We're like an ex- the explosives expert within the platoon, and I had been exposed to you know multiple, no telling how many blasts, and I noticed that it it was affecting me in in different ways, both mentally and physically. And finally, I had to go and talk to a doctor about it. You know, it was just, it became, it was impacting my performance, um, you know, out in the field. And they basically said, yeah, this is what's going on. You don't need to be exposed to this anymore um, because we risk really, diminishing your quality of life if we continue to expose you to this. And I was medically retired. Got it. So basically exposure to ordinance blasts over however long period of time, like time and time again, Mm -hmm. like the repetitive nature of that, being exposed to that. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a, that was essentially the big one. And then, of course, you know, you have joint injuries. They, they look at the whole picture when they start thinking about yeah. the medical retirement. Right. So, so, so when you're now faced with you know, having to return to civilian life, like that, is, is that hard? Yeah, yeah it's, yeah. it's tough, Rich. And I think the toughest thing about it, man, is when you, it's, it's the same as a professional athlete or, or a musician or when you have your entire identity wrapped around this one thing, when, when you lose that one thing, whether it's an, a professional athlete, a SEAL, a musician, whatever, it can be, it can be a crushing blow. Yeah. So, you know, I was blessed in a way that I had found ultra running. That helped me diversify my identity. It helped me. You found that when you were a SEAL? Uh, about a year before. So when they started talking about the whole medical retirement thing, I started ultra running because mm-hmm. that was a really stressful time for me, man. I don't like going to the doctor. I was going to the doctor like three times a day, and it was driving me crazy. So I started ultra running. Right off the bat or just like I'm going to run? Like most people start running, you know, I'm going to go run around the base or something like that. Like they're not like I'm going to be an ultra runner. Was it was it that baked in from the beginning? Like I'm going to do ultras? Yeah, I never. I mean, I had never ran a marathon. Uh-huh. Um, any, I've never ran a ten k. I just, uh, I signed up for a fifty mile race. The first race you signed up for? Yeah, the first race. <laughs> it was the Iron Mountain Ultra Marathon in uh-huh. Damascus, Virginia. <clears throat> so yeah, I signed up for that race and went out there, and it completely f- obliterated me. But I, <clears throat> I saw the community there. Uh-huh. Like I really loved the community, like that grassroots feel it was it's almost like family dude like when i'm out on the trail i'm calling guys like brother sister and and because i legitimately view them as my brother or sister it's like family i loved it and i loved how that event crushed me it like broke down all these barriers that we have built up you know between each other Mm. Man, when you're out there and you just crush yourself, all these barriers just crumble. And like an ultra is the one place that I can truly like let my emotions just flow, man. I can cry if I want to cry. I can laugh. I can get angry. It doesn't matter. Those yeah. are, and that was something that as a, as an operator you didn't really show emotion. You yeah. were kind of trained that way not yeah. to show emotion. So you have this opportunity to express that in a different way. Yeah, it almost yeah. it makes it it brings you back to like a pure form of of humanity. Yeah, it's almost like that's what you needed in order to be integrated once again mm-hmm. and you found a way to figure that out through this vehicle of running. That's it. Yeah. So wow. but yeah, it was still it was still when I finally was separated from the Navy, it was still tough, man, because I was still, in a sense, when I got out of the Navy, I was still trying to like hang on to all those things that I had done as a SEAL. 
and I was trying to depend upon those things to like move me forward into the into my future life. Right. Um, but I had a vision one night, man, and I was able to to let go of all that old stuff because a ship doesn't sail on yesterday's wind, right? And it and and when I when I had that vision and I was able to let go, it allowed me to then propel myself into the life I'm living now. Right. Well, if you think we're just going to blow by the fact that you have this vision without me asking you about it, you're insane. <laughs> so tell me about this vision. <laughs> yeah, man. I'll tell you about it. And I, I this is probably the first time I've talked about this publicly, but I'm lay. So I'm I'm in that place where, like we talked about, I'm depending on, I'm hanging on to all this old stuff thinking that this is going to move me forward in life from a career standpoint, from uh-huh. a, a social standpoint, you know, still kind of hanging on to that identity. And I'm laying in bed one night, and I'm just frustrated, Rich. And in my mind's eye, as I'm laying in bed, I'm, I'm awake, and I see a scroll appear in front of me in the center of my vision. And on that scroll was written everything that I was hanging on to. It was like a resume, uh-huh. essentially. And as I'm looking at this scroll, I'm like, "What in the world?" Like, yeah. a, like an old, like an ancient, like an ancient scroll or totally, something. Totally, man. Yeah, yeah, it was like an old scroll. And and so I'm reading. Okay, this is basically my resume. All this cool stuff I've done. So around that scroll, these clouds, dark clouds, started to build. And as those clouds were building, that scroll began to shrink. Well, what those clouds, it came to me in that moment, those clouds represented the the presence of my God. Uh And as the presence of God built around this scroll, it shrunk and it continued to shrink and the presence of God continued to build. And the scroll got so tiny that I could no longer read the words written on the scroll. So what do you make? <laughs> I have some ideas, but like, tell, so, tell me how you interpreted that. So, so how, how I interpreted that was my God was telling me in that moment that Chad, I can do so much more than what you have done, but you've got to let go of these things that you're hanging on to. If you want to let me work within your life and propel you forward into into your new mission, you've got to let go of these. And and when I got when I had that revelation, when that was revealed to me, the message of that vision. I no longer looked at that scroll as a resume. I looked at it as a tomb. Mm. They were actually things that I thought, you know, I could that could propel me forward, but they were actually things that in reality were going to hold me back. Yeah. So I gave it all. I, I, I was able in that moment when I when I when I figured out the message here, I was able to let it all go go. And move forward now into my future with just this clean and and pure as you know perspective, 
and just just let go. And right. and I'm I'm also able now to really see the design within my life. The things that are orchestrated obviously by something larger than more me. More powerful than more you. powerful yeah. than me. But you know, I couldn't see that before, man, because I was depending upon myself for everything. Right. I mean, that's a beautiful spiritual experience. You know, what I what I see in that is somebody who was holding on very tightly to this story. Uh, this identity, who you who you tell yourself you are, and like kind of hanging your ego on these pegs, mm-hmm. um, based on these experiences that you've had, and the journey forward to wholeness, to this next chapter, um, was to surrender all of that, to like lay it down at the feet of God, right? Like Come on, just man. Basically, um, basically to set aside your ego and just be open to possibilities and kind of wipe that chalkboard clean. Totally. That's a hard thing to do. It is. You know, I mean, these, I, like when I was in rehab, I kind of had, a, I had my own version of that, like learning how to, you know, really surrender. And I think for somebody who is a type A personality or somebody who like, look, clearly you had this dream of becoming a SEAL and nothing was going to get in the way of that. And the only person that was going to make it happen was you. So you're you were somebody who was kind of crafted, um, you know, sort of born out of this willfulness, like self will, right? And I'm sure you have a million things that you can point to in your memory and experiences to say, I would have died had I not done that, or I took care of that, and it's all me, me, me. But in order to broaden your life experience, ultimately you have to realize the limitations of self will, mm-hmm. and that really, in reality. Self-will is your biggest limiter, but that's something that's very difficult to let go of for somebody who is accomplished or somebody who, you know, knows how to set a goal and achieve it. Yeah, yeah, and it was essential for me to to be able to let. I'm, I'm not saying you know I had to. I it was essential in that moment because I had, you know, that part of my identity had ended, and I had uh-huh. to move forward. You know, right? But you hit the nail on the head, Rich. I mean, that that is the right. the perfect interpretation of that vision. You so you speak it so much more eloquently no, than I, I do. I like, I like your version. Meditation has been a recurring theme on this podcast, dating back to its beginnings. And in conversation, always leads people to asking me about the best way to begin. There are no shortage of modalities, of resources, and apps available. I have experience with many of them, but my mainstay, I have to say, the one that I have found most useful is waking up. It's this unique treasure trove of wisdom that has become so important to my daily routine that the app finds itself right in the dock of my phone for immediate fingertip access. Beyond its robust catalog of daily meditations, It's also this extraordinary library of mindfulness resources that go well beyond the strictures of meditation with courses on stoicism, cognitive behavioral therapy, time management, procrastination, as well as thoughtful conversations with leading scholars on everything from psychedelics to happiness. It really is one of the most worthy investments you can make in yourself. And listeners of the show can get 30 days to try waking up for free. Plus, you'll save $30 on the in-app price. If price is a concern, Waking Up offers the app for free. 
astonishingly for anyone who can't afford it. You can find the links on their website to get a full scholarship right now. Just go to wakingup.com slash richroll to start your free month today. That's wakingup.com slash richroll. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson, where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. You are listening to this podcast because you care about improving your health and your well being. But this quest is incomplete if you have yet to add my friend Dr. Rangan Chatterjee's Feel Better, Live More podcast into your listening quiver. An RRP favorite and someone I'm personally quick to call when I'm in need of good advice. From nutrition to mindset, fitness, and relationships, each episode is packed with the tools you need to become the architect of your health. Subscribe to Feel Better, Live More, available wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. I want to talk about your faith more because I think it's super interesting. I mean, you, first of all, you have this wild story, uh, you know, one of the catalysts that brought you into your spiritual perspective. Can you share that? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I mean, you weren't, you, you weren't born and bred, you know, reading the Bible every day, right? Like this is a, this is a newer thing. It, it is, Rich. And, and I, you know, I'll talk to you about my faith, um, but I want to preface it with this. By no means am I telling anyone what they should do. All I can do is tell you what has worked for me and why I can tell you the stories of why I believe how I believe. Uh-huh. That's all there is to it, brother. I appreciate it. Um, so yeah, when I essentially, and I'll, I'll use some, some Jesus talk now. Okay. <laughs> when, I, when I had my come to Jesus moment mm-hmm. was actually while I was overseas, and I had no, you know, spiritual, spirituality. That was just wasn't a part of my life, man. Had no connection to to a God. Didn't grow up with it in the house. <laughs> you know, it was, it was, I, I have to say it was on and off as we were coming up as children. But, you know, I, at that point, I had branched off and I was living my own life, man. You know, I, I had... Me personally, I had no personal relationship to a God. Yeah. Um, so we're staying in this place overseas, and one it was only uh, there was four of us. One of the four guys was a Christian, and we're staying in this building. And the one that was a Christian, he started reading his Bible every evening. <laughs> Sounds crazy, bro. Uh-huh. But when he started doing that, these weird things started happening within this place we were staying. Uh-huh. And they were, I call them now, it was it was really an evil thing. So the things that were happening were causing fear 
and discontent and discomfort within our group. So he starts reading his Bible. He obviously aggravates this spiritual presence, this other spiritual presence that is dwelling in this place. Right. You're talking about paranormal. Paranormal activity. activity. So yeah, I remember the first thing, like uh, I'm laying in bed one night and something hits my door and I hear like singing up and down the hallways of this place where we were staying and I get up and everybody's passed out and it, it it scared me. What kind of singing? Um, it it didn't. I don't remember it as sound. It, it was not words. It was more just like tones, uh-huh. tones flowing up and down the hallway, and it didn't have an evil sound to it. But the event had fear attached to it. Right. And, and you're in some kind of not like a house, but like a build. You're on a mission. Yeah. Basically, yeah. Right? We're yeah, yeah. We're on. We're on deployment. And and so as as the days progress. These this paranormal activity continues to happen, and also our moods as like as as teammates. This spiritual presence was bearing down on our moods, and and it got to the point where it was affecting our interactions with each other, and you know the way we felt about each other, and just really. Just getting us in a rut, man. So you're not the only one who's experiencing. So, so this. eventually, right. after you know, after a week or so, you you got four Navy SEALs sleeping in the same room together because they're uh, they're freaked out about what's going on. Right, like these super badasses now all have left their respective rooms, and you're all sleeping in the same. That's room. That's it, my man. So, <laughs> all right, hold on a second. So, what was that like the first time? Like when this happens to you, you must think either I'm imagining something or or I'm the only one who's having this experience, right? So at some point you you have to somebody you have to have a conversation with someone else like, "Hey, I heard this thing. Did you hear it too?" Yep. Like how did that go? Yeah. Oh man. Dude, we're so, <laughs> I, I mean, like, we were so close. I mean, uh, it was like, you know, we Did you hear that? Yeah, exactly. Hey, what what happened? So what happened in your room last night? And we you know, we would we we would talk about these things, um, and it wasn't necessarily at night. I mean, this place you could walk into this. It got to a point where you could walk into this place, and like I remember, there was a stairwell, and like the stairwell went up, and then it cut back. So as I was walking up the first portion of the stairwell, I could feel a presence of something up and behind me, watching me and bearing down on me as I enter this place, and. And when I would make that turn, I would fully expect to see something evil standing there, but I never did. (laughs) So so we're talking about it, man. And and it's obvious that that this crazy stuff is going on. And it's obviously, it was obviously initiated by the, the, the spiritual side of our one teammate that that mm-hmm. had that as a part of his life. Right. He he opened up this Pandora's box of so evil spirits raining down upon you. Dude, <laughs> this, this sounds so crazy, but I'm telling no, you, bro, going, it's man. so real. So I dig it. I'm into it. We're in this like a crazy battle of, of good and evil, and finally right. I get sick of it, dude, and uh, I call my brother back home in the States, and I knew that my brother was a Christian. He had made that decision— long ago, uh-huh. and I knew about that. And I said, look, Blake, 
I don't know what's going on here, man, but uh, I'm tired of this. I can't rest. We can't work together as teammates. It's this is just getting out of hand. Do you do you have any advice? What can we do here? Because I'm sick of it. And he he said, well, let me put you in touch with my pastor. He puts me in touch with the pastor of his local church there. That gentleman calls me back overseas and says, hey, I got an idea of what's going on here. Will you put me on speakerphone and and allow me to walk around this building, and will you allow me to pray over this space? Uh-huh. Essentially, he's going to perform an exorcism, right? <laughs> totally, okay. man. Yeah, all right. Totally. So <laughs> I, I'm like, I, I actually, when this went down, I waited for everyone else to leave because I thought that even though every this was so real to all of us, uh-huh. like I'm taking it one like a step too far, man. Right. And you're like all of two days into Bible study at this point, right? <laughs> That's it, man. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So I, I walk right. around this building with this this guy that I don't know, never met before, praying over this area. And then he says, Hey, go get some olive oil, and we're gonna, I'm gonna, we're gonna anoint the door. Uh-huh. And I'm like, All right, bro, <laughs> come on, man. Yeah. Get some olive uh-huh. oil, pour it in a little cup. He continues to pray, and I just take my finger and anoint the door uh-huh. of the place we were staying in. Like and the outside door. The outside door. And also the door to the room that we were staying in. Right, yeah. okay. And so after I did this, man, complete and total peace returned to this place and to our mood, our our relationships within our team. It was like it was like I can breathe again. That's bananas. And and, uh, and so it blew me away, and I was like, okay, there is some power here. Uh, maybe I should look into this because of this experience that, that I just had. It, it was so real. So I went out and bought me a Bible, uh-huh. and, and I start digging into uh, the teachings of this guy named Jesus. And throughout the rest of that deployment— there were things that happened that really set my faith into concrete. Give me an example of that. Uh, <laughs> um, I'll give you one single example. Um, we were out playing one day, and we were in this waterway that was filled with trash and dead bodies. And I was water skiing on a spine board for fun. Mm. And um, I fell off and fell into this water with literally with decaying human beings around me. It's just the, the, the terribleness of the place that we were in. And I get a gut full of this water. And I get up back up on our vessel. And uh, I shouldn't have been doing what I was doing in the first place. Right. But um, our medic starts freaking out. He's like, dude, this is bad. Like, this this is not good. Um, and I had remembered, I had been studying the Bible for about a month prior to this event. And I remembered when the Bible, the Bible said, if, you know, if, um, if you'll speak my words out loud, if you'll, if you'll, if you'll remember the scripture and, and use it, 
it's it'll it'll work for you. That's essentially uh, you know a simple message of the Bible. And I had remembered a scripture that said, um, "No pestilence or plague shall come near unto me." And I spoke when when my you know when when this happened, I told my group, I said. I'm good, bro. No pestilence or plague shall come near unto me. And I used that scripture in front of a group of unbelievers, and I was totally fine um, from that point forward. Never, never had any any sickness or issues. Sick. Now that could potentially be coincidence, um, but you know that's just one example. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these things continue to happen throughout deployment. Then I get home. And uh, my wife was dying um, from a disease called addiction. And I had this newfound faith. And I, I started to learn about addiction, obviously, because I was about to lose her. But that I realized that there was nothing that I could say to change her mind. So all I did was... I was using this new tool that I had now called prayer. Mm-hmm. And um, I prayed. I would march circles around my house, pray over the place in bed where she slept. And after about a month of that, she came to me one day and she said, hey, I want to get clean. Like There was no reason right. for it. I wasn't having this discussion with her about hey, you need to get clean. You need to get in rehab. I knew how helpless I was, so I just shut my mouth, man. And so there again, I, I take that as my, my prayers. An affirmation of your An faith. affirmation yeah. of, of the prayers that, right. you know, that I had said. And, you know, of course, there's going to be 10,000 people listen to this and just say, that's all coincidence. It doesn't matter. This is your experience. Yeah, it's just, your, it's just my experience, you know. man. And that's, that's what I'm saying. All I can yeah. tell you is the design that I've seen within my life. Um, and then, you know, so, so that event in and of itself, you know, was, uh, was another thing that really just, just set my faith in concrete and yeah. made me say, well, oh, my gosh, you know, here, here is this loving God that has actually honored my prayers because mm-hmm. I have, I have um, chose to serve Him. Yeah, you know. I'm sorry to hear about your wife. So you come back after deployment, and she's struggling with this thing. I mean, that's a very you know powerless place to find yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but it, but it was there again, Rich. I mean, it's one of those things that. First of all, I didn't know anything about addiction, and I always looked down on addicts. But walking through this, when I when I was when I walked as I walked through this with my wife, um, I realized that addicts are some of the best people on earth if they can just get clean. So it changed my whole perspective on addiction. Mm. So thankful for that man. When I see somebody. Struggling with that drug addiction or alcohol, and I, never do I look down upon them because I know they're just bound up with these chains, man. And if they can break these chains, they're going to be some of the best people on earth. Sometimes, most, most of the time, time brother. Yeah. Um, um, I would second that. Yeah, you know, I think I think there's a lot of people that that suffer from addiction and alcoholism that are, in a certain respect spiritual seekers they're just seeking their answers in an unhealthy way mm-hmm. and they fall prey to this thing that 
becomes very difficult to, you know, claw out of. But when you, and, and, and I believe strongly that this, that, that a huge part of the solution, um, is spiritual. Like you have to find a spiritual connection. You have to, you have to weather a version of what you experienced with the scroll, right? Like you have to mm-hmm. surrender yourself. You have to understand that there's a power greater than yourself that you can avail yourself of to help you confront this thing. Um, and it's about relinquishing the ego and, and self-will. That's a big part of it, mm-hmm. I think. So she's okay now, though. She's yeah. Sober. Oh, yeah. She's yeah. she's doing awesome. And I'll tell you, Rich, it's um, there again. You know, we we went through that that furnace of adversity together within you know as a as a as a married couple. Right. And of course, her her portion of that <laughs> was a lot more painful than my my portion. All my pain came just through watching the pain that she was going through. Um, I can only tell my side of that of that journey. Of course. But um but you know, we went through that together, Rich, and we came out the other end, brother, and we got the best marriage on earth. Like she's my that. best friend in the world and everything is just wonderful, but it's because we can really appreciate the time that we have together now. Yeah. So, adversity's a tool, man. Yeah. That's all it is. Well, one of the things that you've talked about that that I love and I agree with completely is this idea that the intensity of adversity tends to ratchet up or increase the closer you get to accomplishing the goal, right? It's almost like, you know, the closer that you got to becoming a SEAL, you got thrown this thing that seemed like it was an impossible obstacle that you had to overcome. Or the closer you get to the finish line of an ultra, that's when, you know, it becomes the hardest. Mm -hmm. And I look at that and I see it getting played out time and time again, and no matter what people are trying to accomplish or achieve. Um, And it's, I, I, I think of it as like a spiritual test, like, okay, this is the thing that you want. We're going to work towards that, but before before I let you have it, let's just make sure that you're actually ready for it. You know. Well, not only is it a <laughs> test, but it's the laws of nature. Okay. Did you know? Elaborate. Rich, did you know, Rich, that we can look at these things around us, this this nature that we live in, and that you can take principles from nature and see the application in life. So what you just said, did you know that this is a fact that the darkest and coldest part of every single night is right before the dawn breaks? Mm -hmm. That is the darkest and coldest part of, of a night. And you know that from ultra running, man. Yeah. Man, when you get to those hours that are like three, four, five, right there before the dawn is about to break... Oh my gosh, it is if it's wintertime race, you know, that's the coldest part of the night, man. Right. And so that's a law of nature. And it it's it all that stuff transfers into into life, in my opinion. I look look at the lessons in within nature and see the parallels in life. You right. Know? So what is the relationship um, between your faith and ultra running? Like what does that interplay look like for you? I think a big part of uh, f- 
talk about faith. Faith in and of itself, Rich, is all, all that word means to me is that I believe in something bigger than myself that I can't see or put my hands on. I think the, the the better question that I might could answer is how does ultra running help me from a spiritual, physical, and emotional aspect? Those so from a body, soul, spirit aspect. So I don't feel like ultra running in any way impacts my faith. It doesn't it doesn't make me believe any more or less in a God but it does help me from a body, soul, spirit standpoint, which then in turn brings me closer to God, mm-hmm. but doesn't necessarily... It allows me to listen to Him and be in tune with Him more so than I could without right. ultra running, you know? Right. So ultra running, Rich, essentially when you're, when you're ultra running, it is a body and soul exercise. And it, for a lot of people, it's a, also a spiritual thing. But when you're ultra running, you are mastering, you're bringing your flesh into subjection. You're making your flesh, your body do what you want it to do. So you're training the body, you're making it stronger, you're, you're building that discipline. And from a soul perspective, the soul being the mind, will, and emotions, that's what, that's what our soul is. It's it's what do we want to do or not want to do? How do we feel about a certain activity? You're disciplining your mind, will, and emotions, and you're bringing those, the aspects of your soul, also into subjection. And then from a spiritual standpoint, for me, just being in nature, what I would call God's creation is how it nurtures me from a spiritual standpoint. All these trees and plants and stuff, man, all this stuff's alive. Yeah, man. It's it's all yeah. alive, man. Yeah. So I love that. That was beautifully put. Um, I would imagine that you didn't expect to have that kind of broad perspective when you signed up for that first 50 miler, right? Like, how did you come into this love affair with this sport? Well, there again, for me, Rich, it was that that first one. It was that was it. That, that was it. Up. it. It was it was that it just it just broke me down. It broke these walls down. It you know it was it was that body, soul, spirit type thing, and I was able to identify how how ultra running was helping me master, nourish, and maintain those three aspects of of right. me as a human. You know, and after and and also the community. I loved the community. That mm-hmm. was another right. big one, man. Well, I would imagine a big part of of um, having to kind of weather the transition into civilian life is is that you is that you don't have these guys that you're that you have such an intimate relationship with, like these teammates, like the brotherhood and all of that is sort of gone, and you have to figure out another way to build that into your life. Right, so yeah. that community, I'm sure, played a part in that. And there is something very specific about ultra running that when you're trying to answer these big questions for yourself, like, okay, well, what am I going to do now with my life? All that solitude and that connection with nature um, is a great way to kind of wrestle with those questions to try to find the answers for yourself. It is. It yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. And and did you talk about that solitude and that connection with nature? You know. I get I get so much energy 
from the living things within nature. Like it's happened to me only twice, but I, I, I can distinctly remember two times I was leaning against a tree for a long period of time. And I actually was able to feel the life and almost personality of this tree like pass through me or into me. I could feel it uh-huh. um, right, right in here where my where my heart is. And uh, like you're having a psychedelic experience. Like yeah, but I've never. I mean, I've never done drugs before, man. But it was. <laughs> I think your brain is dripping DMT in your system you, or something like that. You have all these visions. Uh, and and I, I realized, I realized <laughs> that this dang this stuff, this stuff is alive, man. Like uh-huh. we can get energy, uh, we can get perspective, we can get that from from nature and the things that are living in nature. Uh-huh. So that's a big like but to we see it. Like there's something about ultra running that strips away, you know everything you know that gets in the way of being able to have that connection yeah totally man yeah so i think that's a big part of it. those walls right. you know tearing those walls down but there's a difference between hey you know i like this ultra running thing and like winning races and just like doing these super crazy race like you've you've created quite a career for yourself as an ultra runner like you've been super successful i want to talk about this revenant race mm-hmm. can we talk about that yeah, we can talk about the revenant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was that last year? When did you do yeah, that? Yeah, that was last year, and then we'll be going. We're going, or I'm going back, go back this year, uh-huh. um, obviously, to give it another go. Um, but the revenant is a very unique event held on the South Island of New Zealand, and the basic format of the race it's um, four fifty-kilometer loops, but it's all off trail and you have to navigate the course with map and compass. Uh-huh. So it's very similar. Have you, I'm sure you've heard of the Barkley Marathon. Yeah, of course. It's Bar- very, Barkley gets all the press, but this Revenant one yeah, sounds even harder. Yeah, it's, well, I mean, each every race is, you, it's hard to say which race is harder than the other because they all have their specific, uh-huh. you know, difficulties. But yeah, the, the, the terrain on the South Island, New Zealand is very, very hard to get through. It's very a uh, harsh environment. And then also, too, you have weather. Um, I would say, you know, the weather in, in New Zealand is, is just as extreme, if not more extreme, as the weather you would experience uh, in Tennessee, uh-huh. you know. So, it, uh, yeah, it's, uh, we went out and I gave it the first shot last year and made it around one loop. So hold on a second. First of all, so this race, it also has like 105,000 feet of vertical gain too, yeah. right? Yeah, it's got a lot of climbing. You're and bushwhacking. And prior to your involvement with this race, not a single person had ever completed one loop, let alone four. Is yeah, that right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> and how long? How many years has the race been around for? Um, well, actually, the the so the the thing is, last year was the inaugural oh, year of okay. the race. Yeah. So this was this was something that the race director has the race director Scott Worthington, he's he has went out and designed this course, and he has done this course under perfect conditions, so he knows mm. it can be completed. Um, but but there's so many things when you're doing a race like this that are out of your control, environmental factors, right. you know what I mean? Right. So, you know, that's what makes it different than a normal 100-miler is if you have an inversion layer move in and it's so foggy you can't see the ground you're standing on, 
you can't navigate in that type of environment. You right. Know? Whereas a normal race, you're just on a trail with your head down, you can turn everything off and mm-hmm. rock and roll. So you show up for this thing, there's crazy, unprecedented weather, but you're able to do a loop, right? You're the only person who's done a loop? Um, there were, I think, three people that did that finished one oh, loop were, okay. last year. Uh-huh. Um, no one finished a second loop. I so gotcha. the one loop is the, is the most that's been done on the course. Um, yeah, d- I mean, we got through it, man. Right. It wasn't pretty. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite thing are these these races that no one has ever actually completed. Yeah, or yeah. these last man standing races, you know, which yeah. is just a different way to compete with yourself. Yeah, I love them too, man. Yeah. So how did you how did you get connected with Jesse? Um, Jesse was training for a last man standing event, uh-huh. and uh, he actually hit me up on Instagram. I just had created this newfangled Instagram account <laughs> back <laughs> right, okay. last May. Uh-huh. So. Uh, yeah, he hit me up and said, "Hey, man, uh, you can't you can't be on Instagram when you're a Navy SEAL." No, don't, totally, man, totally. <laughs> right, yeah. So my yeah, my buddy was like, "You got to uh, do this Instagram thing," and I, so I got on there. And Jesse hit me up. It's it's been a blessing. To, that's been mm-hmm. an awesome platform to share me, the message you yeah. know on now. But he just uh, invited me to come out and run with him and my brother Mark Brown. And uh, we spent a day, we ran 50 miles that day. Uh-huh. There were a few rules that I had, you know, set in place for our group that day, and we hit it off. I mean... What were the ha- rules? Uh, what do you mean you set rules? So the rules for the day were we had to run until I said stop. We didn't. I didn't want them to know where the finish line was because we were really trying to replicate the environment that they were going to experience at the last man standing event. We had to share one thing every hour that we were thankful for with each other. That's cool. Three grown men. Yeah, might that might sound silly, right? No, but I don't think that's. I think that's cool. Yeah, it was. It was. It, it was so cool because, like, when when Jesse or Mark would share something that they were thankful for, it might have been something that by no means applies to my life, but just them expressing that thankfulness like gave me a boost of energy. Yeah. So that was the point in that exercise, was to really keep our speech um, revolving around things that we were thankful for and, and things that... Positivity. Right. Um, last rule, no cussing. Uh-huh. Same stuff, spoken yeah. word, man. So... <laughs> Right. Yeah, we we ran we ran fifty miles together. You know the bonds that form in in those times. And that when was it, it. And, and that was it. I mean, how can you not like? How could you not like being around Jesse and and you don't know Mark yet? No, but yeah, well, bo- the, both so of them. For man. those that are listening, we got the two guys here sitting like right off yeah. camera. So, um, oh, I, I mean, and Jesse is such an amazing person. He I is. Mean, he's a he's a he's such a beautiful and also charismatic natural leader and he's just all about the group you know what i mean you spend 15 minutes around jesse you're gonna yeah. feel like you can conquer the world man i know i know he's very gifted so i'm so way. thankful for his friendship and you know he's taught me so much you know you talked about jesse saying i was his like go-to guy well, Jesse's also my go-to guy. You know, we it's it's a friendship. We uh-huh. just share with each other the lessons that that have worked for us. Right. So, do you live around Atlanta now, or where do, where do you call home? 
We just moved back to Atlanta, my wife and I, about uh-huh. three, three or four weeks ago. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, so we just uh-huh. left Virginia Beach, and we're loving life, man. Nice. North Georgia's awesome. What's a, what's a typical day look like for you, training-wise? Um, so typical day, Rich, I wake up in the morning around 6 o'clock. Um, I give the first fruits of my day to God. So that maybe that's five minutes, maybe that's 45 minutes, either studying His Word or prayer. Um, move on from there, I French press a little coffee, get a cup of coffee in, and then I'm training from eight, you know, seven or eight in the morning until noon. Mm-hmm. So I'm taking a four, I'm, I'm blocking out four to five hours a day usually to train. That is all dependent on what I'm training for um, or where I'm at within that training cycle. So it could be a four-hour hike. It could be a 30-mile a run. It could be intervals. Right. It could be interval. It could be a long run plus strength training. It's different depending on, obviously, what I'm training yeah. for and where I'm at. Do you work with a coach or are you doing this yourself? Yeah, I don't, I don't work with a coach and, you know, I've been – We've been doing, I've been doing kind of hard stuff, running, endurance type stuff for so long. I mean, that all that stuff was born in the, in the SEAL teams, you yeah. know, that um, I just have reached a point that I can listen to my body and kind of know when I need to push hard and when I need to back off. So I haven't really got to the point that I need a coach yet. Right. And what are you currently training for? Like, what's, what's the big race that you're keying on right now? So the Revenant in January, Revenant. Okay. that's that's a big one. And then I'll probably do Cruel Jewel again in May, that race in North Georgia where I tore my hamstring. I actually finished eighth place out there two years ago, so I'm uh-huh. thinking I can go back now with a little more knowledge and a stronger body and hopefully, you know, do right. do much better. And what about Barkley? Um, let me, I got to crack the Revenant first, yeah. man. I mean, <laughs> okay. Yeah, we'll All talk right. about Barkley after <laughs> All right. after that, man. Um, well, let's pivot a little bit to talking about. Like, I'm interested in hearing more about you know your wisdom that could be helpful to people that are listening out there. We're embarking on a new year, and you know, like I said at the outset, you know, people are trying to wrap their heads around how to achieve these goals that they've set for themselves. I mean, what do you think are are some of the biggest obstacles that people put in front of themselves unnecessarily. So one of the one of the big ones for me personally is um overthinking stuff, man, and that just I mean it just goes back to to simplifying a, a situation. You know, so if you set a goal for yourself or, or you might be trying to establish a goal for me, there's only two questions. Um, is this something that you want? And are you going to have fun along the journey, along the way? So whatever that goal may be, instead of sitting there thinking about it and stressing about it and thinking about everything that's that could potentially stop you or hinder you, just make sure it's what you want. <laughs> make sure you're going to have fun on the journey to accomplishing that goal, and then just rock and roll with it. Get started. Yeah. So start surrounding yourself with, with the people that are, that are going to help you, the people that might have the knowledge that you need to accomplish that goal. Um, start 
you know, utilizing your time better to, you know, to accomplish your goal or to, to reach the point that you're trying to, it's uh, utilizing all those tools that the universal tools that we all have. We have mm -hmm. people, we have time, all of us have these things. Some of us may have a little more than others, but that doesn't matter. What about the guy who sends you a DM on Instagram and says, <laughs> man, I'm so inspired by all these things that you've done. I'd love to run an ultra one day, but like, you know, I, I my life's too busy for that. Oh man. Um, you have time for what you, what you make time for, man. The, your life, that to me is not a valid excuse, dude. Here's the thing. That specific question, I just did uh, two. No, a month ago, I did two back-to-back hundred-mile races. I did a hundred-miler called the Georgia Jewel. I placed second place there. The week after that, I did another hundred-miler with Jesse. So back-to-back. -back. Prior to those races, the three months prior to those races, I had only averaged about twenty miles per week of training. Wow. So the 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 time commitment, if people people just blow up the training cycle that that they think has to precede these races, man. Um, you know, the time commitment is not that that significant. In other words, the idea that before you're going to run a hundred miler, you got to put in two years of consistent hundred mile weeks. Exactly, man. I, I just I don't I don't subscribe to that. There again, I think somebody that that doesn't have much running background, if they if they surround themselves with people that can kind of give them the right the right advice um, from a mindset standpoint. And also just from a how to take care of yourself standpoint, that that the training commitment is not that great. It's it's all for me. It's all about just having a strong, healthy body, and spending time on your feet, man. Yeah. So, what is the the mental routine that you that you utilize to get your head right for these things? I mean, I guess it's baked into you at this point. But if you were coaching somebody who you know isn't skilled at at you know measuring their spoken words or you know doesn't quite have the ability to kind of master their emotional state because they're you know have some mental weaknesses like how do you get that person to the next level um i would tell them after we talked about the spoken word we talked about all those tools when the pain gets when when this self-inflicted pain when it gets to be significant and you think that you just cannot handle it the biggest thing that i do is i stop fighting against it and i understand i come to this realization that like i i reach this steady state i call it the steady state to where yeah it hurts but I understand that it's not going to hurt any worse because it already hurts as bad, you know, as bad as it can. And then I, I stop fighting against the pain because when you fight, like when you're using your, your energy, like emotionally to like battle against this pain and you're hating it, you know, you're just hating this feeling that you're having, it actually gives that pain more power over you. And I learned this in, in, in Buds, man, with the cold. 
um, when they'd put us in a surf zone and, yeah. and freeze us to death. It's like when you would fight against the cold, you just got colder and you were just more miserable. But when you just accepted the fact that, all right, I'm cold, and you just let that feeling just pass through you, it's it's like freeing. You free up this well of energy that you can then use to to carry on with your mission. You right, know? right. And how does that play out in other areas of your life outside of running? How does that... Um, Outside of running, so I'll tell you, Rich, the how that plays out is we talk about not fighting against the things that, that we hate. Like, I hate the cold, so uh-huh. I stop fighting against the cold. In my life, or in, in all of our lives, we only have a certain amount of energy every single day. So we choose how we want to use our energy. Every every interaction that we have, every post we make, every email we respond to, every word we say is a withdrawal from our tank of energy. I try to remain constantly aware of how I'm using that precious energy. And I use that energy never to fight against the things that I might not agree with the things that I might hate, but I try to use that energy to foster and promote the things that have worked for me, that I believe and have found to be true and pure, and and the message that that I've been delivered. Yeah. You know, so using that energy, not fighting against the things that you might hate, because that's just going to grind you down, man. No matter what the issue is, if it's a political or a social issue, you're wasting your time. And usually... It's not effective anyway. It's not... Usually, (laughs) you can make the biggest impact on the things that you hate Mm -hmm. by promoting the things that you love. Mm -hmm. And it's so much easier to promote the things that you love. I think that's very wise. And we could all use a little bit more of that, particularly in our public discourse and on social media. And there's a, you know, there is a significant portion of the population that exerts a huge amount of energy trying to tear other people down or just getting into arguments and fighting with people. And it's not effective. And I think it wears on your soul. And I think there's a sense of, um, like weirdly, there, there's a sense of accomplishment that people have when they do, like they think that they've actually, like if you feel strongly about something and you criticize somebody else because they see the world differently, there's a sense that you actually are advancing your cause by doing that. And I think that that's an illusion. Um, yeah. And I think it's, it's it, it, it really does kind of, ero- it, there's an erosion on yourself when you participate in that. And I, I'm always challenged though, because... I think it is important to speak up for what you believe in, right? And there's a lot of dissonance out there right now, and there's a lot of problems in the world and a lot of, you know, um, things that we could be doing better that we're not doing, but what is the best way to accomplish those things? Yeah. You know? Totally. And it's, it's like I said, Rich, this is, this is just my perspective, man. This yeah. is just works for, what works for me. I think you're, you know, you saying that, yeah, you should stand up for the things that you believe in. Like, yes, that has validity. But, you know, to put this in practical terms, 
If there's an issue in today's society that I don't agree with, you're not going to find me in town holding a poster board um, right. marching against this cause. You're not going to find me posting things uh, out into social media that are warring against this cause. You're going to find me marching for the things that I believe in and, and to be pure and true. It's yeah. so much easier to do that, man. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> That's the way I live better my for, life, Better man. for you, too, No right? kidding, brother. You know? No kidding. Um, so what is the biggest... We're going to wrap this up in a minute, but what what is the what is the thing that you're still struggling with? Like, when you look at yourself or, you know, where you want to do better and be better, like, talk to me about the obstacles that you're grappling with now and how you're trying to overcome them. I would say one of the biggest obstacles that I'm that I'm grappling with right now and I hate even calling it an obstacle man because it's just something that I need to an be, opportunity yeah, yeah, yeah. I hate, it's just something that I'm aware of right now is that kind of as as things as my life starts rolling now and and you know um as things kind of grow and get bigger with three of seven and, and the, the stuff that we have going on, the biggest thing that I try to remain aware of is I never want all this, um, all the stuff, like all the, the social media and, and just um, all the, the phone calls and the emails, I never want that to get in the way of or tarnish the purity of myself or the things that I, that, that I, my message, yeah. you know what I mean? So that's something that I, that's I, I, I'm, that's a, I'm so aware. Yeah. I just try to stay aware of that, man. Mm-hmm. And, and not that I'm, I'm not that I'm famous or anything on, on any, in, in any, I'm not even close to that, but things, are, you know, are the influence with three of seven, we get, you know, I get messages every day and, you know, it takes time to respond to all that stuff, and I have to say, okay, this four or five hour block in the morning, this is non-negotiable. This is my time to go spend in the woods doing what I love to do, because if I don't keep my own ship in order, I can't do anything for anybody else. Yeah. So maybe that sums it up, keeping my own ship in order so I can carry on be with, the best advocate that you can be in that's exactly areas. right yeah. brother um i feel you man and it gets you know it gets it gets hard too i couldn't imagine like, you brother well basically people dangle in front of you like you know shiny things like cool opportunities to go to cool places and, and do cool stuff yeah and and sometimes that's great you know but also it can be at at the cost of making sure that you have boundaries around those things. So I I've, I've been on both sides of that and it gets it's it's hard, but I think your 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 head's in the right place with trying to make sure that you protect that because without that there's nothing. There's nothing, man. You know? There's nothing. Yeah. And also being the best husband that I can be, that's another thing, yeah. you know. I, I that's part of my ship. I I say keeping my own ship in order. That's that's my my wife and I our family. I, I view that as a whole. Right. You know, so that's all part of that, man. Cool. All right, well, let's end this um, with a final thought for the person who's who's out there who feels stuck, they're in a rut, 
maybe they're not happy with their job or they're trying to get off the couch and move their body for the first time in a long time. Like how do we, how do we cattle prod that, 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 that dude or that young lady <laughs> to get after it a little bit more? Come on, man. Oh my God. Bring us home. Rich, man, I am not much of a, <laughs> I like I'm ready a, to hire you as my life coach. Come bro, on, man. I am not much of a cattle prodder. That, that's, a, yeah. that's the thing, Rich. I mean, like I say, I just, I'm so hesitant to give advice or to try to tell someone what to do. I mean, I, I guess I could just keep it super simple and, uh, and, and, you know, go over the things we talked about. Simplify things. Don't be afraid to put yourself in adverse situations because that's where you're going to grow as a human being. The decisions you make in times of adversity, self-inflicted or or totally out of your control, are the things that def- those decisions define who you are as a human. But don't fear inflicting that adversity on yourself because it's going to help you grow as a human being. Um, so I would say, go put yourself through a little adversity. It may be it may be only running for five minutes to start with. It may not be running. It may be something completely different than that. Yeah. But don't fear it because I feel like it's essential for us as, as humans to experience that in life. And the last thing that I would say is if you're struggling emotionally uh, from that kind of aspect is take a look at your body, soul, and spirit. Look at those three aspects of your humanity each as a single lane, and think about what are you doing on a day-to-day basis to master, nourish, and maintain your body, your soul, and spirit. And usually, that can be used as a diagnostic to see, okay, I am lacking here. I'm lacking, and, and I need to get some help with my emotional side, my will, what I want and don't want to do. Do I want to get out of bed in the morning? Do I not want to get out of, you know, right. that type of stuff? And then the spiritual side, you know, that can be, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be spending time in nature. For me, it's spending time in God's Word. It could it could be anything, you know? Right. Well, for somebody who is very reluctant to, <laughs> to provide a little, uh, I mean, I guess I call it a cattle prod, but, you know, a little wisdom and advice, I think that's very beautifully said, man. Thank you, Rich. I appreciate yeah. it, brother. Um, thank you for coming here today. I appreciate it. And thank you for your service. Um, and, uh, please come back and talk to me some more, man. Roger that. Next time we got to, uh, we got to go running though. Oh yeah. You went running in Beverly Hills today, right? LA, LA, (laughs) dude. I I like, dude, I I was about to have a panic attack (laughs) running down. (laughs) It was crazy, (laughs) man. That's pretty good. So I'm well, thankful to be out here yeah. in the country today, man. Next time, yeah, this is, I joked with you ahead of time, this is the North Georgia of Los Angeles. That's it, my so man. Next time you know where to hang out and stay. Thank you, um, Rich. Peace. So if people want to uh, connect with you, Instagram is the best place for them to find you? Yeah, Instagram, uh, It's um, uh, you can put it in the show notes. It's C-H-A-D-W-R-I-G-H-T-278. Right. is my Instagram handle. And then also, if you're interested in more about 3of7 Project, that's just 3of7 com. Right. And you can find that on Apple Podcasts and all that kind so, of stuff. So the, the podcast portion is 3of7 right. Podcast. And yeah, that's on Apple. Uh-huh. But um, the you blog can, and all that kind of stuff. You can, yeah, you can find the podcast on the website, 3of7 Project.com. 
Right. So yeah, you can find it. If, if if you're meant to find it, you'll find it. It's easy. Cool. All right, man. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Rich. Peace. God bless you, brother. So that happened. We did that. I think that should get you in the right mindset, frame of mind to tackle 2020. What do you guys think? I really enjoyed it. Hope you dug Chad. Please check the show notes on the episode page at richroll.com for more information to immerse yourself in his world. And let Chad know how this one landed for you by sharing your thoughts with him directly. You can find him on Instagram at chadwright278 with one D. Interestingly, he's Chad with two Ds, but on Instagram, it's only one D, C-H-A-D-W-R-I-G-H-T 278. Uh, And also you can learn more about his three of seven project at threeofsevenproject.com. If you'd like to support the work we do here on the show, subscribe, rate, and comment on it on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends about your favorite episode, share the show on social media, hit that subscribe button on YouTube, Spotify, and Google. And you can also support us on Patreon at richroll.com forward slash donate. I appreciate my team for helping me put on the show week in, week out. Jason Camiello for audio engineering, production, show notes, interstitial music. Blake Curtis and Margot Lubin for videoing the podcast and editing it. Jessica Miranda for graphics. Ellie Rogers for portraits. DK for advertiser relationships and theme music by Analemma. Thanks for the love, you guys. Hope you're enjoying this introduction to 2020. And I will see you back here in a couple days with health psychologist Kelly McGonigal to talk about stress, anxiety, and the joy of movement. Here's a clip. Until then, remember, do not, under any circumstances, give your pain a voice. Don't do it. Peace. Plants. Namaste. Movement is how your brain knows you are alive and engaged in life. And when you move on a regular basis, your brain basically says, I guess we have to be the best version of ourselves because we're in this thing called life. And so I think this is how we should frame movement, that it's something you can choose to do to really powerfully influence your mental health and your resilience. And every time you move, you're doing that. I believe that there's a form of movement meant for everyone, and no matter what body you're in, or no matter what your past experience is, there's probably a way that moving your body will give you access to something that you want, whether it's social connection or hope, a different sense of yourself. I think people shouldn't believe that there are these tricks to behavior change that are beyond what your intuition can lead you to, if you are clear about what you care about and you're willing to experiment and not give up the first time it doesn't go as planned. Yeah.